Hello and welcome to the Gamer's Tavern. I know, I know, we're off schedule again, but this episode was recorded back in December and we're almost done with our backlog. And this week we have a pair of legends when it comes to gaming humor to join us to talk about gaming humor. First off, we have Scott Kurtz from PvP, Table Titans, and Acquisitions Incorporated. And around the hour mark, we have joining us John Kavalik from Munchkin, Apples to Apples, and so much more. And just to warn you, John had a few technical issues, so his sounds a little bit wonky. But before we get started, I've got a few updates to talk about. First up, if you didn't know, Gamers Tavern has a Twitch channel over at twitch.tv slash gamers tavern show. And we're still getting our scheduling worked out, but the current plans are for our new Shadowrun game table episodes run by Brandon Gensimer to air on Fridays, a tutorial on how to play Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition for complete beginners on Saturdays, an actual play of Dungeons and Dragons with the starter set on Sundays, and myself, our social media coordinator, Lauren, game designer, Michael Sherbrook, as well as D20 Girls Louisiana coordinator, Andrea, playing Borderlands 2. We've also amped up our presence on YouTube at youtube.com slash meet in a tavern with archives of all the streams we've done so far. We've also redesigned our website. We've got new menus for easier navigations. We've got forums for you to interact with other fans of the show and a whole lot more. You can find that at gamerstavern.org. And one thing that's been taking up a lot of my time right now, and I don't have a lot of free time, but I've been watching the Geek and Sundry and their role-playing game stream on Thursdays called Critical Role, R-O-L-E. Watching these voice actors playing D&D really inspired a lot of people to want to start playing D&D, so that's why I started doing the live streams. I also took it upon myself to create Team Demihuman. Don't ask about the name, it's an in-joke. But it's an organized play online for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, and we have been approved by Wizards of the Coast to be part of Adventure League and Expeditions. So if you're looking for someone to play a game with online, or if you want to run a game for new or returning players, head to our forums and sign up at GamersTavern.org. With that said, grab a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner, and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor, Easy Roller Dice. Because, come on, who doesn't need more dice? EasyRollerDice.com can satisfy even the most avarice craving for dice on the most modest budgets. Need a dice of a certain color? They've got them. Want a gorgeous satin-lined dice bag? They've got them. Do you want to get over 100 dice for under $25? They've got them. And it doesn't stop there. Use the coupon code GAMER and get an extra 10% off their already amazing prices. Want to take advantage of this amazing offer? Just go to EasyRollerDice.com and use the code GAMER and finally sate the monster inside you demanding more dice. The Gamer's Tavern Podcast is sponsored by Pinnacle Entertainment Group's Savage Worlds game, featuring Deadlands, 50 Fathoms, East Texas University, Weird Wars, and dozens of fantastic licensees. Savage Worlds is fast, furious, and fun.
Hello and welcome to the Gamers Tavern Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Watson. And I'm Daryl Mott Jr. And tonight we have with us a esteemed guest, a webcomic creator, games commentator, and master of many other things related to both gaming and comics, Scott Kurtz. Hello. Hi, That's Scott. Right. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Very, very nice intro. Very kind. Very flattering. <laughs> well, I got to say, I am an enormous fan of your work. Thank you. I, I have been reading. It. I have been reading PvP for thirteen years. Yes, I know. That's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's getting up there. It's Scott's been sixteen. Been, Scott's been actually yeah. monitoring my web use, and he knows exactly which comics I've been looking at. And which uh, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's it's getting to the strips getting to an age where people can tell me they've been list, they've been reading for more than a decade and a half. <laughs> and, I, and, it's, and it's just frightening. I've been reading it's, your comic for an entire teenager. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Since the black and white days. Yeah. Back when web comics were in black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was kind of the dawn of of that particular period. And and your comic, uh, what really set it apart, aside from the artwork and the humor was that it had a slant towards gaming. And, sp- and specifically, the, the characters actually enjoy tabletop as well as a video game. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, the, the problem that I had early on was all of my video game strips were very pandering. I didn't play that many video games. I wasn't someone who bought every new game when it came out. So there's no way for me to keep up with that stuff. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of comic strips in the first two or three years where I'm writing about games I'm not playing and it wasn't very fun. So I broke away from that pretty, pretty quickly. Once, once I got my, my sea legs with the strip. Uh, but yeah, we've always talked about tabletop gaming in PVP. So about 2002, I was, I'm living in Louisville and I'm gaming with this really great D and D game master. We're just having a ball. It was one of my favorite games ever. And to sort of, award this guy, you know, some kind of memento of how awesome the game was. I bought him an official DM hat. Oh. Like in the Cold War. Right. And 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 said, here is your trophy, sir. You have earned this. Nice. <laughs> yeah, gosh. The DM hat. And the yeah. Fez, gaming Fez too. Well, I haven't uh, I haven't bought one of those, but uh, I did love the GM hat because it was specifically for, you know, uh, the DM hat. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. God. Okay, so we're going to do a thing. We always bring on a guest. We talk to them about what's called their gaming character sheet. Okay. And this is just going to tell the listeners who may not know who you are a little bit about yourself and where they might know you from in terms of gaming through the lens of a gaming character sheet, which I imagine you'll have no problem with. So okay. go ahead. I'm mean, just describing myself as if I were a and d character? However you want to do it. Okay. Well... I am a human bard, <laughs> most definitely. You are not an um, elf. Okay. No, no, I'm <laughs> quite human. I'm quite human in nature. I probably even get, could get away with saying half ogre or half half uh, half orc. <laughs> I'm a big guy, but yeah, I'm definitely a bard. I'd say charisma is my highest score. I'm six foot four, so I've got an average above average strength. Maybe around fifteen, sixteen. Low dexterity. Um, <laughs> and I'll give myself an above average intelligence and, a, and, a, and an average wisdom. What am I missing? Constitution. <laughs> uh, 
don't know, average constitution, around 12. <laughs> and, and so, you're also like a, you have a specialty in uh, creating uh, web content? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I have the new media feat. <laughs> um, I also have ability to create artifacts out of any two ordinary objects. So, like, <laughs> you could bring me some wood and an old McDonald's fry container. I'll bring it to a convention, get George Takei to sign it, put it in a shadow box shaped like the Star Trek insignia. It's an artifact. You can eBay it. That's pretty badass. Yeah. Nice. For people who may not know, can you tell us what PvP is and what it's about? Yeah. Um, PvP or player versus player is the webcomic I've been drawing since 1998, uh, drawing and writing it. It's not the same comic it was back then, but it's, it's, uh, a, essentially, this is my elevator pitch and I hate one part of it, but it's very accurate. It's the office meets Big Bang Theory. There you go. Okay. I'm not a big fan of Big Bang Theory, but it encapsulates it pretty well. It's 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 geek office humor, um, very character driven, um, and pop culture driven, and it's a gagaday comic. And I've been drawing it. Uh, on, the schedule's been different, but seven days a week for a while now. Five days a week. I took my weekends back after the ten year mark, and um, <clears throat> been doing it uh, yeah for sixteen years now. You also have an achievement on your sheet that says professional D&D player. Yeah, that is – I'm very proud of that achievement. <laughs> I am a professional D&D player. That ben win bronze bottom. It, that's almost not a compliment because it seems – I feel like it takes away a little bit from the pureness of it. But the good news is when we're up on stage – and yeah, I do get paid to do it, which is great. But when we're up on stage – and we're playing D&D. It's some of the most fun I've ever had playing the game. That really comes through. I, I really, I think it does. We, you know, it's really funny because when we prepare for that, so for those of you that don't know, I am one of uh, three regular players in a D&D game that's only played live at the PAX convention. Um, PAX Prime and more recently PAX East. But, but literally we prepare for it by doing nothing. We just show up that day and go. Um, Perkins, I think our DM to the stars has to do the most work. We just show up and play D and D. We had toyed at the beginning with it being more theater than actually playing. And we kind of threw that out the window right away. So we are actually up there playing D and D. None of it's scripted. It's all, it's all on the, off the cuff. And it's just a blast. It's just a blast. There's nothing like playing D and D in costume in front of 2000 people. Uh, that's the way to if you can pl- if you have the means I highly recommend playing that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, very few people probably ever going to get that opportunity, uh, but it's it's awesome that you are part of that select group. Yes, and we're we're just uh, very grateful to have you join us here on the show to talk about that kind of thing because getting guests like you on the show is going to be a big help for uh, you know not only us as Gamers Tavern but it also helps like the gamers out there get to know you guys a little bit better, right? Get to know what kind of gamers you are. Sure. Of that nature. So, speaking of that, the next thing we do is we do what we, you know, what have we been playing lately? And I'm actually going to start with Daryl this time. Daryl, what you been playing lately? A friend of mine who hasn't run a game since he was a teenager. This is uh, James, the guy I've gamed with pretty much my entire life, uh, is running his first Pathfinder game in a long, long, long time. So I'm sitting here. I just finished editing our. Uh, we just did a character optimization episode. And so I'm sitting here making this, I'm basically making Locke Lamour as a rogue for his character, for his like urban based game. And it is hmm. 
so min-maxed and cheesy. I'm having to, I'm having to go. He's like, I didn't even know there were this many Pathfinder books. Well, you're, so, so you're, you're, you're optimizing to meet a concept. And in this case, your concept is Lock Lamora from the book Lives of Lock Lamora by Scott Lynch. Yes. Okay. So what have you been playing lately, Scott? Uh, I've been playing a, been playing in a fifth edition campaign. Awesome. Um, Rodney Thompson, who works for Wizards of the Coast. I live up in Seattle, not too far from Renton, where Wizards of the Coast is located. And through all of my, you know, business associations and stuff and through Table Titans and stuff, I've gotten to know a lot of people at Watsi. And a lot of the people that I know, a lot of my, the people in my circle of friends have employees of Watsis either running their games or in their games. It's weird. Um, <laughs> So the, there's there's an employee of Wizards of the Coast in pretty much every game that I'm conscious of <laughs> up here in the Pacific Northwest. And luckily, I have Rodney Thompson DMing mine. So we get together uh, every other week, and we're doing a 5th edition campaign. I'm playing a ranger named Aarok Crowforth, and a bunch of my buddies and I are – there's about six of us in the game. Other game designers, Mike Selenker, who does – works for uh, – runs Lone Shark Games is in the, is in there. And then, uh, Mike Failauer from Penny Arcade and some of our buddies. So we're playing that. Uh, I have most recently I've played Lords of Waterdeep. It's still, nice. it's actually a game Rodney designed now that I think about it. And I'd love that game. That game is so fun. Yeah. Lords of Waterdeep. And then there was a, uh, Ticket to Ride is a big one in the Kurtz household. Are you familiar cool. with Ticket to Ride? Oh yeah. 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 I am. That's a big one. My dad grew up. Uh, my dad is a German immigrant and he's big, big, big on trains, model trains his whole life. So we're a train centric family and a uh, ticket to ride is a, is a big one. Awesome. As for myself, I've been uh, running a DD fifth edition game for uh, set in the birthright universe, which has a bunch of uh, guys who've been on the show previously. Uh, we're enjoying that greatly. I, I am starting to think the fifth edition is possibly my favorite edition of D D ever. So good. <laughs> uh, I just picked up the D, uh, DMG, as a matter of fact. Uh, we have been playing – we started a board game the other day, which was Fortune and Glory, uh, which is really interesting. Oh, I uh, love that game. Uh, it is It is really cool. I We didn't actually get through the whole game, so I want to, <laughs> I'm really excited to play it all the way through. But I did like what we had played. Yeah, I, I got to say I love Fortune and Glory, but it is a beast of a game. It's uh, It'll take you an right. hour to set it up alone. But it is so worth it. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell them what it's about, the concept. So, yeah, Fortune and Glory, the concept of Fortune and Glory is you were playing pulp adventurers, uh, battling the mob or battling Nazis or battling those weird cults uh, and traveling across the world to rescue or <laughs> acquire certain artifacts uh, from trap-filled tombs that also have challenges like car chases and things of that nature. It's, it's really action-packed and cool and very uh, – very emotive of the particular style that it's meant to be. Yeah, it's like 20s, 30s pulp adventure, 20s, 30s, 40s, like uh, the sort of thing that Indiana Jones was a pastiche right. of, those to- type of stories that were really popular back then. Uh, Rocketeer is another good example. Yeah. Something to mention. Oh, my God. It's so Lastly, great. I'm in a Savage Worlds game that's being run by Corinne Seabolt, a friend of the show and one of my roommates. And Corinne is running this game called The Crew, which is a modern uh, sort of – supernatural hunter uh, type of uh, game where you play different people who have different abilities who are tracking down monsters. I'm actually playing Diana Delacroix, who is a, the child of a normal human and the goddess Nike. So wow. 
Yeah. Winning is what I do. One of her <laughs> quotes. So anyway, um, that's what I've been up to. Let's jump into Tavern Tales. In Tavern Tales, we talk about a memorable die roll from a recent game. Scott, can you give us a great story about a memorable die roll? Jeez, gosh. A memorable die roll. Holy crap. You're that wow. I don't know why that question threw me. I'm <laughs> racking my brain trying to come up with something that's really awesome. No, I can't think of one. Well, I mean, there was, you know, what's really funny is is that uh during our live game one time, uh it was the first time uh Mike Krahulik had ever played D&D and Jerry had been playing his whole life and he could not roll anything over a one to save his life. I think he rolled like four ones in a row. And Mike turned to him and said, you were horrible at this game. You were terrible at D&D. How long have you been playing? I mean, the guy just could not catch a break. And I'm sitting here not um, trying to quote the next line, which is... Right, right. Yeah, don't quote punch it. Punch him in the dick. Yeah. yeah that was Wheaton's, just, Wheaton's D-punch. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Now, but, I, did, I, will, I will point out that there's this great T-shirt that you have that is your D&D character, and he's a dwarf. And uh, what's his name? Your your George character, uh, Binwin Bronzebottom. And that guy is got arrows sticking out of him. He's on fire. You know, he's got like a bear trap on his arm. And the name on the shirt is him saying, "Guys, I found, I found the trap. Yeah, I found the trap." <laughs> yeah. Uh, in that first game we played, Binwin became the target for the mage. I was the place where he dropped all the offensive spells. So it just became a running gag that, and I tend to I tend with that character just to barge in. We don't have a rogue amongst us, although we have on one or two adventures, we've had a, a bardish rogue type person. But uh, normally I act as the rogue and I disarm all traps by uh, springing them. <laughs> so it's up to it's up to our cleric to make sure I survive that. I mean, that's the okay. best way to disarm a trap is just spring it. Vinwin's not actually a rogue, right? <laughs> right. He's, no. he's a fighter. Isn't he? Mm-hmm. he is. A, yeah, he's a fighter. OK. I just wanted to make sure I hadn't missed something. There. No, no. <laughs> but I do. Um, it is my job to disarm all traps. I just trip them. Nice. You know, and that actually talk about running gag. That's going to ease us right into our main topic tonight, which is about humor and gaming. You see how, see how that segue worked? Right that, there? Was that was a segue. That there was smooth. Go. That was a segue. <laughs> I want to start us out by asking the guest about this particular question. What is the role of humor? In a tabletop game, well, for me, it's everything because I I, I got to tell you, I'm a very I'm a very specific type of player. I care very little about the rules. I mean, I want the rules there, and they they help make the character and the world more real. Uh, they're the physics of the fictional world we're all living in. So it's not a hundred percent just make believe. You know, it's not a it's not a it's not an improv experiment. It's not a new fiction workshop. It is a game, but and it does leave up some randomness, you know, the dice being, uh, you know, fate or God or however you want to put it. But for me, I'm not a big min-maxer. I'm not a big stat person. I would rather my character have uh, be weaker and be flawed because that's the way I write characters. I think flawed characters are more interesting. So I'd rather not min-max. I'm going for the moments where... In a a year's time, six months to a year to two years time, it's going to be the moment where you say, remember that time we were playing and your ranger failed the shot, but it turned out we were aiming at the wrong guy. So it was a good thing that you didn't hit him and, or, or, you know, 
every group has this where it's like, yeah, and you brought the whole dungeon down on our heads and blah, 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 blah. And <laughs> someone thought it'd be a good idea to shoot the roper. You know, <laughs> those are the moments you're going for. I mean, that's right. the takeaway from the table. Humor is a huge part of that. And, uh, I have sat at some humorless tables and I've sat at the table where there's one humorless guy and no one likes that guy. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have that guy or gal at your table, you might be that guy or gal. You should think of, you should value, self evaluate, make sure you're not that guy or gal. Well, let's, you know, just, just to be clear, I think there are many different ways to play a role playing game and, and all of them are valid. So, you know, we're not telling you, you know, if you're not, if, if you don't have any human in your game, you're doing it wrong. We're oh, just no, saying, we have a, we have a big, right? we have a big min maxer in our game and he is, uh, yeah, it's, it's he is the biggest min maxer. He's got it all in his head. He knows exactly what ways to combine things. He's constantly challenging our DM, and our DM helped write the player's handbook. <laughs> so, I mean, we have it in the group. That does not mean that we don't enjoy, you know, playing with him. It's a it's a different style of playing. But for me, yeah, uh, the most important part is the story and the the stories that we're telling. I'd rather fail something. Uh, I'd rather, um, not have something be effective character and stat wise if it means we have a great story element we can all remember from the night. Right. It's all about the experience is what you're telling us. For me. Yeah. I mean, for most people at the table, yes. But for some people, I mean, my brother is this way. My brother is looking for the moment where his character shines and pulls off something amazing. So for him to fail at something, he's going to be disappointed at the table. I think what we're getting at is we're talking about takeaways. We're talking about the memorable moments, right? And sometimes the moment can be memorable right. because it's really funny. And sometimes, it, you know, there's, there, there's moments of memorable that is also drama. And there's mo- moments of memorable that are also, you know, great success and against uh, incredible odds. But definitely one of those things that we take away from and remember later is that really funny moment, right? I agree. I tend to provide the comic relief at the table. That's just, that's just what I tend to bring. I like the funny moments. My my ranger currently now has a very very low charisma score. I think it's like a five, and I attributed that to the fact that he um, has spent so much time living in the f- woods, w- away from people, that he's better with animals now than he is with people. So I'm constantly trying. I'm constantly talking to people and and forgetting and talking to them in bird or talking <laughs> to them in deer. Um, <laughs> I'm doing that kind of stuff. Ruff, ruff, and, uh, oh, wait, sorry. Uh, two tankards of ale, please. It's right. like uh, asking Lilu what her name is in Fifth Element. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, 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 I don't know. That stuff is just fun to me. Well, it's, I think, I think at the base, what we're talking about, right, of, of having fun in a game, part of that fun factor is just, you know, Humorous. I mean, the, having humor in the game helps make the game fun in, in most circles. I would say, mm-hmm. and I think another big deal is it's a it's a tension breaker, right? Like if you have a big dramatic moment, or you have a big like holy crap, we're gonna we're gonna lose this fight against the dragon moment. Humor can actually get in there, and and for good and for ill, right? It can break that tension. That's a big tool for any dramatic kind of storytelling you've got i mean joss whedon said it recently oh he's get a master dark, of it get serious but then for god's sakes tell a joke oh yeah 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 it's it, the avengers has just a beautiful moment with iron man it's exactly that yep you know and i i agree that it's a really it, it's a wonderful thing to to not uh always have the grim dark and to have you know uh moments where the tension breaks because it allows you to build up back up 
with the drama and back up with the, you know, serious businesses at stake kind of a thing. I think it, I think it's that kind of combination of drama and humor is what makes great, what makes something from being drama to an action adventure. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, the difference between violence and action is, you know, the difference between the movie Heat and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, I was going to say, uh, like, the difference between Death Wish and Die Hard. Right? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, you know, exactly. Is the humor. Yep, They're yep. both action movies, or lots of people die in both of them. But one of those is clearly an action adventure and one is clearly a lot darker. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So one other thing I wanted to mention in this particular section is there are some games that are just intentionally aimed at very serious tones. And I'm talking about your Vampire the Masquerade. I'm talking about your – help me out here, Daryl. What are some other games that are very serious? Uh, War- like- Warhammer 40K, aside from the orcs, pretty much well, tends yeah, to be yeah, – tends the most to go part, for that. Well, it's a really grim, dark setting. Yeah. Uh yeah, there's a lot of games out there that Traveler. are Traveler. Traveler is intentionally very serious, and it's uh, they're all meant to have this real serious, real dark tone to it to explore themes and tropes yep. of humanity and how far you're going to push yourself. And there are some games that look like they were meant to be played that way that just usually aren't. Uh, well, well, that's uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying you have to play them with with injections of humor, but it does change. I think I, th- I think it can both improve and harm, depending on how it's used, those intentionally serious games to add humor to them. You know what what group of gamers I think are the most somber, sour pusses I've ever seen standing around playing? And I haven't spent a lot of time with them, but I've never been in a game shop and seen them playing and not gone, boy, everyone is so serious and quiet over here. It's all the War Machine people. <laughs> uh, Everyone's the miniature, playing, the miniature oh games? my gosh, yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, no, done. Look at my rule out. Yep, nope, that makes it. And that goes there and this goes here. Okay, you know, everyone's moving it. It's That's just a very competitive environment, Scott. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I used to be a miniature gamer. I worked for Games Workshop for a number of years. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, when you get into a tournament, especially, it can be, you, you turn off everything except your tactical mindset because you're, you're trying to win. Yeah, but yeah. E- even Magic the Gathering players will still crack a joke here and there it seems like i well you know i've seen magic guys do the same thing no, i think magic is the same way in, in a I lot mean, of cases but sometimes they'll I, 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 they seem a lot lighter to me that when people are playing it a lot more well it depends who you're talking. asking right because like if you're talking about friends and family playing definitely but if you go to a game shop everyone is everyone's got their game face on right everyone's mm-hmm. deck measuring <laughs> oh how'd you like you that there. i see what you did there i don't need binoculars to see what you did there um, yeah, no, I, I, I think magic can be the same way too. I think people get really, really serious about that stuff. Scott, let me ask you this question. What makes a game like a, specifically a role playing game? What makes a role playing game, a comedy or a humor centric game? Uh, well, there are definitely games that have been designed to be a little more, uh, humor oriented than others. I think it all comes down to, to the lore that's written around it. I know know that um i think one of the most fun kind of oddball humor centric games that i saw recently was when watsi re-released gamma world oh, there was God, yes. no way to play that and not have a fun time uh and not uh, laugh i think you're yeah, oh i know you have, you've got a chicken with two meat cleavers an anthropomorphic was, chicken on the it cover was like of a book. it was like a role-playing game meets uh post the pop post apocalyptic dystopian setting meets Mad Libs. Right. So we're talking about the tone and sometimes how that tone is communicated through the artwork, right? 
Yeah, but not even that. Just just rolling characters was such a random thing. You know, you could be a a mutant with a with a stop sign as a weapon. You could be a plant person with it could be, it just was so random. Yeah, random a ton of fun. Random does uh random rolls do add a lot of humor if you're in the right mood, I think, for it. Uh there's some really great games that have a lot of random rolls in them though. Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, if you use the uh Heroes of Legend central casting books for creating your characters. Um, even going back to old games like Cyberpunk, uh, the old interlock system with the uh, life paths that you roll up, you can come up with some pretty bizarre. Oh God, I remember so many Marvel superhero characters that I rolled that were just crazy. <laughs> yeah, gosh, you remember we, Marvel superheroes? Oh man, yeah, we had a running <laughs> gag. My uh, my friend Rob Schiebel, who I grew up with in West Des Moines, Iowa, back in the eighties, we bought that box set, and all of the statistics for that had a word associated with it. Monstrous, so, amazing, yeah, monstrous, incredible. Amazing. The, the worst was feeble. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and feeble intelligence was trouble with doors. <laughs> that was the description. <laughs> One time, my buddy and I, Rob Schiebel, we're going to the mall, and I pushed instead of pulled, you know, on the on the door of the mall, and I went to tonk. And my friend Rob behind me went trouble with doors. Nice. <laughs> and we just it slayed me. Yeah, no, the Marvel superhero game was really cool. I also played Villains and Vigilantes, yeah, which uh, has a lot of connections to the comic book industry. A lot of comic book guys kind of got started in that Jeff game. D. Jeff D. Jeff D. Jeff uh, D. Bill, Bill Willingham. Willingham. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you owe me a Coke. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, God, V&V was such a fun game, and that had a lot of humor in it, too. So, Well, just just on the subject of random roles, um, a friend of mine made a character for Marvel superheroes and he wrote, he, he said, um, I'm playing cyber commando. I have all these cybernetic stuff built into me. We're like, all right, cool. And he rolls, he gets like incredible running speed. We're like, all right, that's cool. And he rolls and he gets incredible ability to see at long distance. He's got like telescopic vision. He's like, Oh, cool. All right. I'm awesome. And next time he rolls this feeble flame generation. <laughs> he says, uh, okay. So I can see a woman lighting a cigarette from a mile away and I can run up and light it for her first <laughs> i'm like all right well that's a way to make that work for you there scott but i don't know his name was also scott so yeah <laughs> i remember as a kid i remember as a kid trying to play V with a friend who was new to role-playing games and i was helping him roll up a character and i was very into superheroes very into the x-men i was trying to show him how cool the game was and uh he rolled randomly and he got pet and as, as his power. And he goes, well, what's a pet? And I said, well, you know, like Kitty Pride has Lockheed or Kazar yeah. has, uh, has uh, his saber tooth. And he goes, okay, I want my pet to be a Smurf. And I said, <laughs> if you're not going to take this seriously, I'm going home. And I packed my up and left. Like, I was really upset that he wanted his superhero's pet to be a Smurf because uh, he had shrinking power. So he's going to ride on the back of a Smurf. And it's just like. I can't deal with this. <laughs> Superheroes are very important to me, and you're not taking this seriously at all. This is serious business. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. Okay. I wasn't very humor oriented back then. Well, I think there's, and this is something I want to get into a little bit later. But there is a way for humor to actually kind of harm the experience when it's used inappropriately. But uh, but just for a minute, I want to kind of talk a little bit more about like you know what makes a game you know humorous or what makes a, a comedy game. And you, we talked about the tone, we talked about the art, we actually talked a little bit about mechanics just now, right? Like the random rolls can really inject you know for good or for ill uh, some humor into it. There's also games that are intentional parodies, right? Munchkin, great example. Uh, that is essentially a parody of all role playing games ever. Yeah, 
A lot of a lot of the Steve Jackson games tend to be that way. Isn't there another one called Shea Geek? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that's a, a parody of conventions, if I'm right. No, it's like yeah, yeah. it's like a. Uh, Kind of like dorm life. You're in your early twenties, being a yeah, nerd. Yeah. You can play. Okay, yeah. you know, you're trying to earn slack, and you have a job, and your job gives you so much free time. And uh, there, you, one of the one of the activities can actually get you win you the game really quickly is playing role playing games because right. it's a random amount of slack you earn. I, I one time based an entire D and D adventure off of a Huey Lewis song when I was very young, and I'm not especially <laughs> proud of this. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Huey Lewis song Power of Love, I transformed into a artifact called the Flower of Love, which, uh, Jeez. would curse you, you know, if you picked it up and it would transform you into either like a wasp or a robot. And, you know, they would found, they found a, 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 a prophecy about the, the Flower of Love, which would make one man beep and another man sting. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes, I know. It's, I, I am, I, I am ah, <laughs> guilty as charged, right? Well, I thought it was funny, uh, but they didn't. And you know, obviously, <laughs> there you go. And I've been in, I've been in another guy's group where he ran us through a dungeon um, that had these kind of very involved water levels, right? Where there was a lot of like plumbing and things. And we eventually realized we were in a giant toilet. <laughs> you know, and sometimes yeah, we've done that before. You know, we've done um, we've done things where this happened a lot in a, a friend's game where halfway through the game, everyone playing goes, "Are we? Is this Pokemon? Are we doing Pokemon?" <laughs> things like that. <laughs> oh my god, this is the Pac-Man maze. Right. Yeah, you incorporate that stuff in and wait for them to find it. It's a lot of fun. It can be. It can be. It can it can go wrong, but it can also be good. And sometimes it's you know we're we're talking about I think we're now talking about more or less style, right? The style. There there it can be a certain over the topness if you want to play. Like I've seen people play Weapons of the Gods like Dragon Ball, which is awesome. I mean, they had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And there was a friend of mine, and he wanted to run his D&D game like a Final Fantasy game. And we asked him just how far he wanted to go with this. And eventually what we decided is that we were actually – our characters, when we talked, our mouth would move, but there would actually be a, a screen showing our text, and you would have to hit the button to continue. And every time we hit a monster, you'd see their hit points over their head, that kind of a thing. We'd always do the dance when, when we beat a monster. Da, 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 da. You know, <laughs> it was a one-shot. <laughs> It was a one shot, but it was actually really fun and really funny to do it in that over the top as if it were a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, though, by it can be taken too far. I think that I think there's a, it's a balancing act, right? Because oh, yeah. if if it's all joking around, if you're never taking it seriously, it's going to take you out of the game. It's going to take you out of the experience. Uh, well, you want to feel like the world you're making is real. So, yeah, I think, well, you know, this sounds like a good time to actually skip ahead and actually talk about that if uh, Daryl's okay with me. Okay. Like going, jumping the show notes a little bit. All right. So the challenges to having humor in your game, right? Scott, you, you just mentioned one. Uh, what's another one that you could think of? Biggest one for me is just clash of senses of humor in the group. Because if you've got one guy who really likes like smart wordplay or likes like situational jokes, and you got somebody who likes physical comedy, you like somebody who just likes making references, and those three guys at the table, they're all going to be making themselves laugh, but not each other. Yeah, if someone at the table loves puns, it's going to get old <laughs> super fast. And then, uh, guilty. And <laughs> and then you got the one guy who showed up, and he's just like, "Why can't you guys take this seriously?" Well, I think, you know, part of I've it is... I've got an 18-page backstory for my character. We're talking about making sure everybody 
is kind of okay with that style, right? Like, and this is harder when you're doing a game with strangers or you're doing a, a campaign for the first time because because it, 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 this is really kind of part of tone, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Well, obviously, you're you're going to understand your gaming group after you play with it for a while. You're going to get to know it. Uh, so you're gonna you're gonna know what's appropriate, and not appropriate, and what's a good level of humor to be incorporated. I think the biggest problem with humor in a game and joking around is that it can slow the game down. And it was a much bigger problem in, with it when fourth edition, because combat in fourth edition could already just get bogged down. But at some point, you've got to focus on the game and getting back to to playing. And I think the biggest issue with cutting it up and making jokes is that it can really delay the game. Well, it can derail, right? I mean, you can have people making progress mm-hmm. you know, towards a goal. People can feel like they're actually, you know, kind of doing something. And then if some, if, if, if their joke is cracked at the wrong time, the one guy makes yeah. a princess bride reference. And then the next half hour is gone as That's everyone what I'm quotes talking the movie. About, right. And, and so instead of getting two encounters uh, done that evening, yeah, it's one and kind of a half because yeah. Now I think some of this falls on the GM. I think it's uh, like my friend uh, Sean Fannin. He's a really good GM because he will kind of take charge. He's not afraid to just go, "Hey guys," and snap his fingers a few times. Let's let's all get you know. Let's all focus here, right? He does it in a in a way that isn't disrespectful, but he does it in a way that you know is clearly like you know, "Hey, I'm I'm here to provide you guys with an experience, and I want to get back to that," right? Yeah. And I don't think that's I don't think that's a, an unreasonable way to handle it, Scott. If you know, are do you GM? I do absolutely. Yeah. And what what do you do in this kind of situation? It was a lot worse with fourth edition because what happened in fourth edition there was a lot of time sinks in fourth edition. And the first, the biggest one was that there were just so many options for players past a certain level. Analysis so paralysis. many so many um, skills, so many different things they could do. So what I would do is I would give bonuses to rolls, a plus two to hit uh, if you were ready to go when your turn was up. And I take away uh, – I guess with fifth edition what I would do is give advantage. I always give advantage if they do great role playing. I give advantage on the roll. And I'll give them – I would give – I would start penalizing with, with, with in-game stuff. I'd give disadvantage on rolls. Because they're not concentrating, I'll say, oh, you're not concentrating and neither is your character as mine's elsewhere. And so he gets a disadvantage on this role. Get them to focus on the game again. I mean, I, I was taught uh, by my DM mentor, Jerry Holkins, that a DM has got to be in control of the table. Because um, <laughs> I was having a hard time with people showing up on time, especially when we were playing up at the office and everyone worked in that same office. No one, you know, since we're all there and you can just run into the break room, it was, Six six became six thirty. Six thirty became seven, and I said to him one day, "Pretty soon it's going to be seven thirty. That's a whole hour late." And he said, "If they're not there by the time you told them they're supposed to be there, you start docking XP. That's your job as a DM." <laughs> and Very I'm like, core, man, <laughs> I don't like being that kind of DM." And he goes, "Well, once play starts, you don't be that kind of DM, but you've got to control the table. It's you're you're a host, you know." So I've you know, got. You're, I've got to ask, when Jerry gets in that mode, do his eyes really start glowing red? (laughs) (laughs) No, Jerry's not like that at all. Jerry's actually a very, very kind, sweet man. Uh, And everything he says is said in a tone where you're not sure if you should be taking taking him seriously or not. Well, you know, this is all about taking things seriously. I I would love to get Tom Lommel and his character as the dungeon bastard 
to answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do, you know, to keep the control of the game? Oh my God, I bet it would be great. (laughs) Just like Scott was saying, you know, your humor and it can kind of add to this overall feeling of, you know, being casual and that can can be a a problem, a hindrance if you're trying to start on time. What I always like to do as a GM is kind of set a period of time after we start like 30 minutes and just kind of leave that open for everybody to get it out of their system and talk about the latest movie and, you know, Hey, did yeah. you hear this joke? And, and once that 30 minutes is up, I'm like, okay, now we're, we're going, you know, also we, one thing we didn't talk about, um, well, we did briefly, but with style of humor, right? Not everybody is going to have the same appreciation. Now this is, this is based on, you know, knowing your group really well. I mean, it's going to be harder in a convention or harder in a group where they're all strangers, but you know, there's, there's appropriate humor for different people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you've got a guy at your table that likes making kind of off-color jokes uh, and people are uncomfortable with that, you know, it's your job as a DM or a player to to politely pull him aside and let him know. I mean, this is table etiquette. But yeah, I mean, I mean, if he wants to make a joke about the Republican Party and somebody at your table is a, you know, card-carrying you know, member Democrat. of GOP, right? Or something, you know, whatever, you know, oh, it, yeah, this, no, this, this is a recipe for, for disaster potentially. Also like too many references, right? Like if you have guys, we, we talked about Princess Bride and, um, Monty Python is like very, uh, infamous for this, right? Oh, uh, right. yeah. So you you want to talk get, about getting penalties on your own, crack a Monty Python joke at my game. I dare you. <laughs> because it builds on itself, right? It's, just, it's the easiest way to just Bam, the game's derailed. The game's derailed for half an hour because everyone's going to be quoting movies. It doesn't matter how many times you try to bring it back in, they're going to come up with another reference because there's just a, such a big body of work there. And it can also get to the point where if you're using reference humor in a game, where you just get to a point where you have burned it out and it's not funny anymore. Yeah, like if we, if, if we talk to two characters who are obviously Sam and Dean from Supernatural, and then we have, you know, a, a Batman type show up and then we, you know, fight odd job and, you know, in the, in the hands of the right GM, that can be awesome. And I'm just saying, but I, <laughs> typically I, that is not necessarily great. The, there's a way to incorporate the spare those characters into a game without actually having it be that way. The most favorite NPCs of my gaming group, and he's made his way into Table Titans, my comic strip about, about D&D is essentially the drow version of James Bond. His name is Simon Goodchild. And I just made this drow thief artificer, and he had gadgets like James Bond did, but they were they were artifice objects. And he just kind of showed up and was just way many levels above them, but he would toy with them. He was very suave and debonair, and everyone loved him. And someone at the end of it goes, he's kind of like the drow James Bond. And I was like, yeah, it kind of is. And everyone thought that was so cool. We didn't make any James Bond jokes. We were making money penny jokes. He didn't have the name, you know, James Bond or whatever. You know, I mean, there's ways to incorporate that. You can put Batman in your game without it just being – without it being so obvious that it takes you out. Yeah, it's of, about versatility. Right? Mm-hmm. I can remember That's the time word. I realized that I – had crossed that line hard. It was It was a game I was running. It was a fourth edition game of D&D. We've been playing for months and months. I've talked about it on the show, and I think I may have said this moment before one time on the show, but it was just the second it came out of my mouth, I cringed because I realized how far we had gone in the just everything having little names and references because the, the group was called the Wild Stallions, and they had uh, one of those banners that you when you plant it, uh, it makes it... Uh, 
gives everyone bonuses. And when they plant it, they go, we are the wild stallions, plant the banner. It was funny. And, but it just kept snowballing, snowballing to the point where, uh, the half vampire Avenger comes around the corner after they had killed his vampire, his vampire, her vampire mother and said, and oh, I'm cringing right now trying to think, trying to remember it, but she comes around the corner and says, my name is Buffy D. Blade. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Boo. Yeah. So, so what we're ta- what we're saying here is that it can over, it could just be so much that it actually drains the drama out of a dramatic moment. There was no drama. There was no humor. There was just nothing but the, oh my God, I put those words together in that order. So like a little goes a long way, I think is what we're really kind of building towards. Right. I think that, I think that the best place for humor and and kind of a lighter attitude is at the beginning of your campaign, especially if you have new players. New players in any kind of a role-playing situation are terrified. They're <laughs> terrified. They won't know how to role-play. They won't know what to say when it's their turn. They They don't know their character 100%. So if you can kind of let them off the hook with humor, if you can help them understand their character better by basing them on some kind of pop culture reference – if you can give them an actor or a character in a popular culture thing to reference, it helps a lot. At least I've found as a DM. That is a excellent point. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I think you just nailed it right on the head. Using humor to ease a new player into the game or to make it less intimidating is a really, really strong and good tool for a DM. And I, I, I back that 100% what you just said. Yeah, it, it it's really helped. For some reason, especially, you know, one of the things that that I found is that there's a lot of girls and, and, and women I know that grew up actually playing role-playing games, and it's not new to them. But I also have met a lot of wives who were introduced to role-playing by their husbands, and they're playing for the first time as adults. And they've been watching their husband play for a long time, and they've been coaxed to the table, and they are terrified. And that is a great place to use that tool humor um joking yeah but i think in this case we want to be really careful and not make fun of the player right we're no obviously not keep the humor focused on the game and keep it you know like when i when i mean humor i mean lighthearted yeah 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 exactly and not not and not like aimed at any particular person because i think that if you if you if you approach a new player like that with a very dramatic moment you know, like the NPCs like, oh, so you want to and you want entrance into the castle. Well, give me one good reason, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, now the pressure's on. You've set up this moment. They're not going to know the right thing to say. They're they're worried they're going to ruin the story that's being told, you know, or they're going to ruin things for the party. But if you keep it lighthearted, it's not as terrifying. There's it seems like there's more right answers. Yeah, I think I think you got a very good point there. Yeah. What is the most important invention in all of mankind? Beer! Longtime listeners will know how much I love good alcohol, but when it comes to craft beers, there's so much out there, it can be intimidating. What's the difference between a brown L and an IPA? And why is there so much German, Hefeweizen, Bach, Dunkel? Where do you start? I'll tell you where. Craft Beer Club. For just $3 each, you'll get three bottles of four different beers right to your door every single month from independent craft brewers of the best quality. In just a short amount of time, you'll be snobbing up with the hipsters talking about nose and hops. But Daryl, I can get a 12-pack cheaper at the local store, you say. 
But can you get specialty regional small batch beers at that price with this much selection? I didn't think so. Besides, you know you'd spend twice that much at a bar for the same beers just to try them out. So go to gamerstavern.org slash craftbeerclub and we'll start you out with your first shipment plus three free gifts. That's gamerstavern.org slash craftbeerclub and start enjoying real beer. And we're back with the Gamers Tavern podcast talking with Scott Kurtz about humor in gaming. And I wanted to quickly point out, Scott had mentioned uh, just recently talking about uh, humor in games, this character in a web comic of his called Table Titans. And Table Titans is a very specific tabletop game oriented web comic that Scott's doing. And it's really wonderful. And if you don't know where it is, uh, we will make sure and uh, include that link in the show notes for you guys to check out. Yes. I love the characters, by the way. Table Titans is awesome. Thank you. It, it's, it is my passion project. Not that PvP wasn't. It's just that PvP had such auspicious beginnings. Table Titans was really something I set out to do, where PvP just kind of happened organically, unexpectedly, kind of. But yeah, it's, it's been a blast. Let's just, I want to you know, refocus this a little bit. You know, we were talking about all the ways that humor is kind of a challenge in a game. Mm-hmm. What are some things that are good? I mean, how, do, how does humor bring something extra and fun to a game? I'm sorry. How does humor bring extra fun stuff to a game? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it seems like an obvious question, but I think, I think if we explore the negative aspects, we should also explore the positives. I just think that especially if executed as a tool by your dungeon master, I think it can give you a richer game. I think that a lot of DMs, especially when they start building campaign worlds on their own, I think that they get very serious about their lore. They get very serious about their their world building. And that's great. I mean, world building is super important. But I think that you can squeeze all the fun out of something if you get too bogged down in it. Oh, and that's a good point. Keeping humor in there, I think, keeps it more fun and less... Uh, it's bogged down in the world building stuff. I played a pickup game of D&D with some fans at Gen Con uh, last year, not this year. Last year, they uh, came by the booth, said, we'd love to play D&D with you. And I said, yeah, we have no plans. We'll play tonight. And this guy had this whole world built, and it was just so impressive. And he had this whole uh, system, cast system, and it was just... I mean, the world building was great and it was very much, um, the lower class versus the upper class. And there was such a humor, such a fun aspect of that kind of a punky rebellion part that it really was the perfect complement to the world building, the very serious world building of this kind of dark place. Oh man. And you know, I give seminars on world building all the time at conventions and stuff like that. And this is something I'm going to have to add in. Which yeah. you just said, I'm going to have to add that into my like how to world build. Don't lose the fun. Remember some of the humorous things. That's a great point. It's an important element. I mean, it, and it's a balancing act too. Because if you, if it's all humor, then there's no way to 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 have any uh, weight to it. But if it's but if it's all serious and it's just joyless, you know, I mean, we've all met DMs that get lost in their world building and their IP. This is, this is a good example of how I used humor to help. Last year, um, or this year at Gen Con, I was exhibiting with, uh, the good people at We Love Fine, WeLoveFine.com. They, they do all of our merchandise. Um, we're one of their licensors and none of them had ever played D&D. It was the first time playing. 
one of the guys, we all went and played uh, at one of the hotel bars. We kind of commandeered a table over in the corner and I handed out the pre-made character sheets and I was describing their characters to them kind of whole cloth so that they didn't feel like they needed to come up with a background on the fly. And the wizard, the guy that played the wizard, we were making fun of him because he had already had way too much to drink. I told him that he had a magic item. He had a magic artifact on him. And he said, oh, really? You know, they really excited him. Like, what does it do? Is it a weapon? I said, it's a, it's a flask that never ends. You're a bit of a drunk. <laughs> and it set the whole tone for his character. Like, no problem. I'm the crazy wizard drunk. Like, you know, and the whole night it was who put the drunk in charge of fireballs? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, who put the, 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 the alcoholic the town drunk in charge of the deadliest uh, weapons of the night, right? So, also, um, I'm going to magic missile off three of you. Yeah, his magic missiles. Um, I told him that if he drank from the flask, his magic missiles would be more potent, but they actually had a chance to miss. So it was, <laughs> it was up to him. And so that's that's where the humor works. No, those are yeah. Good. Just uh, some Darryl. examples. Daryl, do you have a story that you've been wanting to share with oh, us? Oh, I think that's, that is one of the things that humor can bring is when you ask someone to tell a story, when we do our tavern tales on here, nine times out of ten, it's always a funny story of someone screwing yeah. up and laughing. But one of my favorite stories was involving uh, a cursed item that our DM put into the game. He, d- he didn't expect for this to happen, but... The person, and this was second edition AD&D, one of my first games I'd ever played. And this was during the time when you pick up a magic item that's cursed, you cannot put it down, period, until you get the curse removed. Guess who picks it up? Mm-hmm. The, the three foot two halfling is now walking around with a two handed sword. Cursed berserking sword. I don't know if it was berserking. It was just cursed. So he's sitting there dragging along along a seven foot long sword that's twice as big as him. That's pretty funny. And he cannot put it down. And he was like really into like the stealth burglary stuff. Can't really do that when you're dragging around steel that weighs more than you do. There's a girl that played with us from Germany uh, in my days in the army. And she was druid, and she decided her animal companion was a squirrel. And she says, I shall name him Einheinchen. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like a cool fantasy name. And it wasn't until like – What was two, it? Einheinchen? Yeah, something like that. And uh, two games later, she like revealed that that's actually squirrel in German. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was like, okay, well, um, you know, you got me on that one. There's also like some kind of funny, you know, just bits in in games, especially D&D like has the wand of wonder, right, which has all the crazy uh, again, random, you know, elements that can just be, you know, either funny or distracting depending on how I love the wand of wonder. I have I'm going to have to put this in the show notes. I've been teasing it for a long time. I'm going to have to put it up. I've got a 600 item one for 3.5 Pathfinder that I use. So it's got 600 different effects every single time you activate the wand it can do. Now, I think humor's got a different role in like a campaign as opposed to a convention where you're doing a one-shot type game, right? Because in a one-shot, you have a little more freedom to just be, you know, just just to really like we, we talked about the experience, you know, just to have it make sure everybody has fun. That's you don't really care about the dramatic moments quite so much, um, at least in my opinion, at a one-shot as you do everyone walking away from the table saying they had a good time. Yeah, agreed. So I do I tend to do a lot of um, comedic 
convention one shots. Like I have a Venture Brothers game where you're all playing characters from the Venture Brothers show. Um, I'm, we're going to be running a uh, D&D game where you're all playing members of the D&D cartoon this year, fighting Venger and tracking down Uni. That's going to be awesome. awesome. And I have a friend of mine who runs a luchador game where, you know, no shit, you are, you know, El Santo and the Blue Demon and all those guys, you know, fighting midgets and Dracula because luchadors. And it's awesome, but it's hilarious. It's uh, awesome because it's hilarious. My, right? my go to for a fun one shot is Minds of Madness. I, be, I believe, what was that the one that, that you worked on? That was a on? lot of fun. That, that it's basically the tomb of horrors, but you're in on the joke from the beginning. Yeah, it's totally, it's totally crazy on purpose. And I was at PAX East during the first uh, time that was played publicly. Um, they didn't have enough DMs. They were, they turned away about 500 people. Everybody wanted to play it. And every single table was doing it differently. Every single table was attacking that thing from a different way. Uh, Chris Perkins and I, who co-wrote the module with me, we were just amazed at how everyone had a different solution to a different problem in that, in that dungeon. It's a lot of fun. That Minds of Madness is a ton of fun. That's a great one shot module. Not you to pat me- myself on the back. <laughs> So since we're actually talking about like specific things here, why don't we actually jump into like talking about some very famous comedic or humorous, you know, intentionally tabletop games? Paranoia. Yeah, paranoia uh, is a good one. Got to be paranoia. paranoia. Uh, oh. Probably the granddaddy, uh, that and Tune. I think Tune's probably the most historically important one. I think it's the first time that it really, you know, put humor front and center. And that's a that's a uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's a Greg Kostikian special. Is Tune. There was a lot of there was a lot of humor in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle role playing game too. There was, although we you know we talked about this right before the show. <laughs> but, but the funny thing is about TMNT is it's actually meant like if you look at the the game, it's meant to replicate the feel of the black and white comics, which were far more serious. They were, the, but there was I I felt like there was still a ton of well, of, you know, not that it's a joyless. Yeah, it's not not that it's some you know some joyless you know uh, exercise in anthropomorphic vigilantism, which it's not. It it is it has humor in it, uh, but it's important to note that when you talk about the TMNT game, the role playing game, you really you shouldn't be thinking. Well, I mean, not necessarily should. The creators weren't thinking about the 1984 cartoon. They were thinking about the comics. Huh. No, the of origi- course not. The original Eastman and Laird comics. I, I, I just realized this. I don't know why I didn't put it in the show notes because I took it off the show notes because it was supposed to be serious, but that's just ended up that way. The comic was a parody. It was a parody of the grim and gritty comics that were coming out like uh, Watchmen and Dark Knight. Well, it was. I mean, you, and, you could say it's a parody, but I would, you know, I well, think no, in the long run, I mean, maybe it started that way. Well, right? The original was, one was meant to be a parody of uh, the char- the creation of the right. Turtles. That was the same truck that hit Matt Murdock and turned no, him no, into I, Daredevil. I get, I get so it, I'm, saying, I'm saying a couple of in-jokes aside – yeah, I mean, this is a whole different discussion, but okay. a couple of a couple of jokes aside, TMNT is more than just a parody. It is kind of its, it's own thing. It's very tongue in cheek, though. Yeah, I, I think parts of it are. You know, I mean, again, if you read those black and white comics, it's pretty evident that they were trying to tell a very serious story with some tongue in cheek elements. I mean, I I grant you that. But anyway, um, sorry guys. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Fanboy, TMNT fanboy right here. Um, yeah. and, and just to be clear, you're not doing it wrong if you want to play like the, the 1984 cartoon. I'm sure that would be really fun in the right hands. What about uh, Munchkin? Obviously, we talked about that. Kobolds Ate My Baby. Yep. Uh, Hackmaster. Is it? 
it, origi- it's a it originally it's, was, it grew into something that was a lot more serious and has a lot again, more depth yeah, to it. Yeah, but originally it was a very parodic. It was, it was a parody of the ADD second edition. It based on, of course, Nice at the Dinner Table, which is its own humor, uh, you know, a stab, if you will, uh, which I love, by the way. Love nice. No, I'm not table. very familiar with the Hackmaster game itself. Did the Hackmaster game ever go beyond just kind of being a, I don't want to say, I don't want to say rip off, but you know what I mean? Like, was it, it ever, it was, it was, was a, it ever more than just a reskinned second edition D and D? Yes. It, it, well, it, it is grown it's, into, it's, it's still yeah. based on a D20 style rule, but it's grown into a completely different rule set, uh, kind of like the same way, uh, mutants and masterminds is technically a D20 based system, but there's so much more going on to it. Yeah, and it's actually evolved original. even further than that. Hackmaster's original incarnation was very much what you just said. It was a reskin of second edition. Uh, it is now in its newest edition of Hackmaster. It's kind of its own original. And they've hired, they've got, it's got its own lore and everything now, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, again, a lot of this comes from a comic. <laughs> not unlike, you know, not unlike some of the stuff you did, you know, it comes from Nice at Dinner Table, which established its own, you know, universe and continuity and things of that nature. Right, right. And then uh, Brian Patterson's doing kind of the same thing right now with uh, Carthoon. That was well, his setting yeah. that was referenced in D20 Monkey that he just uh, finished up a Kickstarter on that's going to become an actual printed game-made book that's uh, uh, edition neutral and system neutral. But uh, Teenagers from Outer Space is a very famous comedic <laughs> game. I forgot about that one. <laughs> well, it was um, – you know, this again is one of those historically important uh, RPGs because this is back – this is kind of back in the day, and it's it's well known that the guy in charge of Artel Sorian, the guy in charge of Artel Sorian uh, is Mike Pondsmith. That's it. Uh, Mike Pondsmith is in charge of was in charge of Artel Sorian at the time, and he was well known in the uh, the industry for being kind of a sage. He foresaw the newest trends. Like he was the first guy to jump on the giant robot train. He was the first guy to jump on the cyberpunk train. He was also the first guy to do an anime themed game, which was Teenage Mutant uh, Teenagers from Outer Space. Um, and it's, it's really, it, like I said, from, from a historical standpoint, like of our industry and our culture, uh, that's why, that's what made TFOS like a really uh, interesting game is that it was one of the first to kind of grab onto that cultural, uh, movement. I'm not sorry with that one. I'm a nerd. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, that one was from, well, that one was from like the early eighties, I think. Wasn't it? It is. It is. And, and I have some friends who just adore it. So, um, it was one of those games that had like a stat for cool, right? Like how cool are you? You know, it was, it was very social, not so. <laughs> it didn't have like a deep and heavy mechanical system, right? It was more meant. Was uh, it Marvel superheroes that had fame as a as an element, or was that V and V? Probably was that V&V. Champions. V and V probably had fame. I think uh, Marvel had karma. Karma. That's and what Marvel had. Champions had reputation, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are some other famous games uh, that do comedic, big comedic elements? Uh, there's one that I'd completely forgotten about until I was doing research for the show, which was XDM, Extreme Dungeon Mastery, uh, which was uh, Tracy and Curtis Hickman did that right. one. Uh, it was not that long ago, actually. I thought it was older than that. But the, um... it's, yeah, it's kind of like an over-the-top... It, it, this is from the Wikipedia page. Purporting to be a secret society of extreme game players, this book both casts a satirical eye and offers practical advice on improving game design and play of role-playing games. And it's got its own system as well to it. So, hmm. Was there ever a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy role-playing game? No, but there was a Dallas role-playing game. Oh, Christ! <laughs> 
You know, I, I don't want to dwell on it, but there were several <laughs> games that, you know, are funny not because they're intended to be. And there's a lot of games that were tried to be funny but in the wrong way. Uh, and, I, again, I don't want to dwell on it, but, yeah, there's – there's a number of ones we can go back and look to in our history and go, wow, really? They made a game for that? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> or, wow, that game is really that cheesy? Yeah. Can't believe I forgot Low Life, uh, former guest Andy Hopp. Uh, his right. uh, Savage World setting, which is ve- it's kind of in that same style of just complete random wackiness uh, that we were talking about with Gamma World. But, it, I mean, for God's sakes, the role-playing game has sentient Twinkies <laughs> as a playable character race. Come on. I've got to definitely recommend Made, the role-playing game. And it's it's an import from Japan. Uh, it's – I don't know how else to say this, but you play maids, uh, like anime-themed maids, competing for the affections of the master. And it's it sounds weird, but let me tell you, it is a blast for a, for one shot or even a short campaign in the right hands. Uh, it, is, it is pretty amazing. Uh, I think that uh, James Ernest's company, Cheap Ass Games, makes some of the fam- best, best humor-based games like Unexploded Cow and Kill Doctor Lucky. But this this poor man, why why should we kill him? <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't you have the characters from PvP play that? I think at one point, Unexploded Cow, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so absolutely. That poor man. Why do we? Why do we? Why do we have to kill him? And then, like two yeah. rounds later, die. Why won't that old bastard <laughs> just die? That's right. That was a strip I did, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that's, what I, that's what I remember. Goodness gracious! Everyone remembers my. Uh, that's crazy. <laughs> and then there's a game. See, I now need. you know I'm a true fan, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, and there was another game. Uh, this was. I want to say this was Jeff D. Did uh, something called Twerps, the world's easiest role playing system. And it was meant to be a parody of systems at that point. It was like late 80s, early 90s, I think is when it came out, where game systems were just getting more and more and more crunchy and complex. And the entire system was built around the fact you have one stat called strength. <laughs> and you rolled it for everything. And it was, yeah, like, it, it was like a $3 <laughs> pamphlet, pretty much. And it had like 15 source books that were also $3, like 16-page pamphlets. Hmm. You know, um, there's also Stupor Powers. Uh, I remember Stupor Powers. Yeah, and there's one about cows from the same guy. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Hmm. But yeah, there's there's a there's there's a game about cows. I forget what it's called. Uh, uh, but those are cows. Those are definitely humor based game. Uh, it's it's called Cows. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Kovalik is going to come on. Oh, Unfortunately, like I think you're right. I think oh. he bailed on me. Uh, why is you know here's a question why isn't there like a munchkin role-playing game because it seems like it'd be you know something you could do if, if you can have twerps if you can have tune it's know. a lot it's a lot of work to put together a role-playing game there's a lot of balancing involved if oh, only you don't know that's, if only steve <laughs> jackson's games had yeah. a system in place that was built to be you know generic and universal that they could easily adapt the new source book to if only oh man um, you know, I, I want to say also just, you know, it doesn't have to be a comedic game at the start, right? It, it can be about the experience like we talked about. I actually ran a game um, of Dark Heresy, which is a very, very serious game on the surface, right? And I came prepared to this convention with a, you know, deep investigation of the the Inquisition and there was, you know, a cult and it was going to be kind of a real dark, it was meant to be kind of a brooding type of game. Uh, but who should stand at my table? But my good friend Robert Dorf, who we've had on the show before, 
And uh, he, Robert Dorff is the guy who runs all the Luchador games. And Lee Garvin, who is the creator of Humorous Game, which is Tales from the Floating Vagabond. Mm. So I get Lee Garvin and Rob, Robert Dorff at my table. And let me tell you, it didn't take long for me to switch gears and say, you know what? This is not going to work as a dark and serious game. <laughs> and I just rolled with the flow. And I said, OK, it's going to be a little more Laurel and Hardy meets uh, the Inquisition and a little less grimdark. <laughs> and we had a great time. I mean, that's that's really the goal is we had a great time when it all comes to the end. Uh, but that's what brought to mind one other famous comedic game, of course, uh, Tales from the Floating Vagabond, which is a really, really fun game. Huh. You know, I'm going to throw this out there, and you can correct me if you or disagree if you disagree. I'm going to say Call of Cthulhu is a humorous game. Ooh. It usually ends up getting played on, that way, whether it's meant to – I don't know if it's designed that way, but that's the way it gets played. I, I don't know, man. I've seen, I've seen it be played so many different ways. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it always breaks down into into something really dumb by the time it's over. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some things that about gaming that are humor that aren't games? I mean, why don't you tell us, Scott, tell us about Table Titans. That would be a good way to start us off here. Table Titans is a long form comic that I'm doing online uh, that is about Val and her gaming group. Val is a uh, young gamer. She is very, very serious about about gaming story is very important to her and her gaming group and, and the campaign they play in. And the theme of the story, the theme of the comic is really about uh, the importance of story and uh, how it can tie friends together, that kind of shared experience. So it's been going now for almost two years. We're on our, uh, what you would call our second season. We're just halfway through our second season. It's, it's kind of something we've been doing in partnership with Wizards of the Coast. They let us play in their, in their sandbox, the, you know, unlike Knights of the Dinner Table, we didn't make up a, our own game for them to play. We're just, they're, <laughs> they're playing D and D. It's, it's an option we were going to do. Cause I was going to do the comic regardless. So in the meantime, as long as Watsy is cool with it, they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, which is great because it lets us play with their toys and, and have things like Displacer Beasts and Blink Dogs and Beholders in the strip, which is, yeah. which is a very, very good strip. I really like it. Thanks. We're we're really having a good time. And we we had a Kickstarter at the end of last year to get the first book printed. It was a huge success, which just floored me because it's it's grown. The strip has grown in two years almost to be as much traffic as as PvP, which is has been around for you know sixteen. So we're very blessed with it. Yeah, so it's just a really great fun project to be working on and it's all about gaming it's all about storytelling and and there's there's a lot of humor in it okay i want to welcome to the show john kavalik john thank you for joining us tonight it's my pleasure and happy holidays to all happy holidays to you john now for the listeners john of course has a well-known webcomic called dork tower and uh do you want to give us your brief like overview of where people might know you from in the gaming industry uh, the, the two biggies would be the game Apples to Apples, which I helped develop and illustrated. And I wrote all of the goddamn flavor text for, and, <laughs> uh, the game Munchkin, which I have illustrated for about the last 12 years. And I've done over 5,000 Munchkin cards for that game system. Oh my God. <laughs> I, don't I, think really, I, don't, I don't think you can compare those two things, John. <laughs> <laughs> if you see what I did there. 
I yeah yes. I drew okay. one apple for one game and five thousand cards for the other game. <laughs> you've drawn you've drawn five thousand Munchkin cards. Yes, yes, I have. Over. Oh my yeah, it's over five thousand. <laughs> it, it kind of averages over the last twelve years. I guess it averages to a little less than one per day, but of course it comes in huge chunks. Um, but yep, yeah, and I've done over a hundred other games, uh, most of which are totally forgettable. <laughs> well, oh, I've never ta- did anything. We have talked about one of them already uh, earlier in the episode. We talked about Cobalt's Ate My Baby, which Very is not one of the forgettable ones. Uh, that's one of the delightful ones. And yeah, occasionally I get called in to make something really, really horrible and awful seem cute and lovable. And Kobolds Ate My Baby is one of those examples. You know, we just talked to Scott about Table Titans uh, because we're kind of talking about things that are humorous about gaming that aren't actually games. Yes. So I wanted to ask you if you wouldn't mind telling the listeners uh, what is Dark, Dark Tower? Dark Tower is a comic strip about gamers that's been around for uh, 17 years now, 18 years. Um, it began running in the mid-90s uh, called Shadus. And at the time, well, I created a website for it because back in the day, um, you didn't know how to do these things. Uh, that would have been like 1997 was the first time it went online. Uh, but it's basically a comic strip about four gamers, and they huzzah, start, huzzah! It must be mine. Um, and they started <laughs> out as pure role players, but since then, it's kind of expanded to be just about every form of tabletop uh, board gaming, uh, miniatures, cards, everything. Occasionally, uh, console gaming, but I don't really have that much time to do that, uh, so that doesn't really feature prominently. Kickstarter does. Kickstarter certainly does. Yes. <laughs> so yes, yeah, it's, it's essentially it's it's a reflection of my life and my loves and my geekiness. Well, it has a lot to say about games and the gaming industry, which is you know part of the reason why we wanted to talk to you about it tonight. We were just discussing you know the role of humor in games, and I think you can't really talk about humor in games without discussing things like. Table Titans, Dork Tower, PvP, um, Knights of the Dinner Table, and Order of the Stick, I think, are also up there. And, uh, um, oh, there's so many others at the moment. It's just, it's huge. There's a ton of them. I, lo- I lost track of all the ones that I was trying. D20 had- Monkey. Oh, yeah. Full Frontal Nerdity. Full uh, Frontal Nerdity. Nodwick. Yeah. Nodwick yeah. is one of the classics. Of course. How could I forget Nodwick? Brilliant. Um, uh, Wear geek, uh, goblins, uh, just so many. I mean, there are literally hundreds at the moment. And when I started, uh, you know, it was, uh, Dork Tower, Knights of the Dinner Table, and, um, What's New by the Folios. Still and yeah. Dixie, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I got, I owe, um, goblins for introducing me to Pat Rothfuss and the Name of the Wind. I would not have read that book if it wasn't <laughs> goblins. <laughs> wow. No, for real. Like they were, they were promoting it before anybody else. Yeah, yeah. And is he still is he still working on that comic? He is. Uh, it's in a hiatus at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but it's everything I hear is that it's coming back, and he just wants to get everything tidied up. Now, why do you think, as gamers, we really enjoy and love to see these really humorous approaches to our hobby? 
Well, I mean, gaming is so full of humor anyway. I mean, to me, one of the funniest role-playing games I've ever played is Call of Cthulhu. (laughs) We were just talking about that. (laughs) So much humor comes out of Call of Cthulhu. I mean, the fact that you see all these cute little over the place anymore and it's supposed supposedly this absolutely horrific um you know 1920s uh mind-blowing horrible game uh i mean gaming just lends itself to humor i mean the, the games themselves may be serious or may try to be serious but when you're around a gaming table things happen and the table cracks up and you know it'll just be joke after joke happening in these horrible horrible situations Let's let's be uh, clear though. Call of Cthulhu is a horror game, not a horrible game. <laughs> no, that's true. Call of Cthulhu is, to my mind, the most elegant role playing game uh, for its time ever created. It's just beautiful and brilliant, and I adore it. I think it's just one of the all time classics. And after I got into D anD D, and then sort of got into D anD D, got into Traveler, and after Traveler, Call of Cthulhu was my thing. It's just brilliant. And in fact, anybody who loves Cthulhu, I really highly recommend they go and pick up Kenneth Height's Trail of Cthulhu game, which is you know, Cthulhu with sort of streamlined rules for the you know, 21st century. Uh, just a wonderful game system. But yeah, it's like so much humor pops out of a, around, from around a gaming table. No matter you know, if it's a board game or a card game or a role-playing game or a video game, um, that you just can't, I mean, I, I just, God, I would hate to play in a game that was so completely serious that did not have laughter at some level, no matter how, uh, terrifying the scenario was. I think, I think as a gamer, I love reading about other people playing games and, you know, the characters of your comic or characters of the nice dinner table or things of that nature. I love that because it gives me another window into the hobby that I love. And it always, you know, for me, I, I find things to take away from that. You know, not only the jokes, but also sometimes the actual lessons of you know the the, the complex social interactions that occur at a table. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, one of the fun things for me about with with Dork Tower is uh, the character Igor. Uh, I mean, most of the characters are kind of based on me to some extent, but Igor is based totally on my friend Scott, who is absolutely crazy and he's insane. And he's one of these, um, not Scott. Well, I was about to say, no, 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 no. <laughs> Igor Scott, uh, Igor Scott, yes, okay. Scott Ullman, my good friend Scott Ullman, who is in my first role playing group here in Madison, and quite frankly. He is insane when it comes to role playing. He will do insane things. He will, and this is the point where the rest of the group rolls their eyes and goes, Oh God, Scott's going to kill us again. And so the character Igor is somebody who I would never ever be in real life around a gaming table, but it's so fun getting this out of my system. It's like, Oh my God, this insane gamer is just going to take the entire party down with him. Well, isn't that kind of one of the, the things about role playing is we do it because it, it's something we don't get to do in real life. And sometimes the things we don't get to do in real life are the wild and crazy, just, you know, off the wall ideas, right? Absolutely. And, you know, but, you know, some people do take that to a certain extreme. <laughs> and it's funny because after, after Dork Tower started getting out there, I had a lot of people come up to me and tell me that they had an Igor in their group. And my initial reaction was, oh, my God, there's more than one. <laughs> uh, God help us all. That, that, that is funny. 
I still remember that Gen Con in 2001 where Scott was at our booth. It uh, <laughs> was a wonderful, wonderful experience. For I have a, a lot of France. I have a lot of Francis's at my gaming table. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> was that the last Gen Con that they were in Wisconsin? Might have been. Oh boy! But yes, yeah. one, one of the fun things about Scott uh, Allman was he came with me to an Origins once, and he drove uh, from Madison to Origins, and I was like white knuckling it the entire drive because he drives like he role plays. He is intense. He is insane. And the fact that we made it back alive was incredible. But he is this, he's, he does have this wonderful, larger than life personality. And so he would be signing Dork Towers along with me at the convention. And you never want to let him sign first because seriously, he would do a signature on a Dork Tower and I would get the comics like Scott, you didn't leave any place for me to sign. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's some other things that have come recently into the industry as far as uh, humor, uh, a lot of films and web series and things of that nature. Have you guys heard of Dark Dungeons? Oh, yes. my gosh. Yes. It's amazing. And there's the gamers, of course. Um, the gamers. Those guys are up here. They're so great. You're I've in had, now, right? I am, yeah. And they're, they're kind Seattle. of – I know. <laughs> so Seattle cool. or Portland. It's, it's just where everyone in comics ended up. Oh man! I and gaming. Phil Lacefield's up here. No way! Not the Phil Lacefield. Yeah, he's off Lummy. He's in Lummy Island. He's a couple hours away, but he's up here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Well, there's a there's like a secondary vortex happening in Colorado with quite a few game signers kind of moving into that area as well. So uh, I'm sitting here in Madison in the snow, just listening to these stories. <laughs> have you guys uh, heard of the show called Standard Action? I have not. Oh, uh, that's there. Daryl, can you tell us about Standard Action? Yeah, Standard Action is uh, Joanna Gaskell and Rob Hunt put that one together. It's a uh, web series that takes place. It's inside a D and D game, pretty much, where the characters. Uh, it, it's all in world. There's not not like the gamers where they use the table as a framing device, but it's definitely set in a game world, and it is absolutely hilarious because it's uh, a. S- Oh, I, I can't even get into it. There's uh, uh, lots of jokes, lots of references, but it doesn't overload you. But it is just hilarious, and it's brilliantly written. If you have not I've, seen it yet, definitely check that out. It is great. Have you guys heard of the series Bored with Life? I no. have not. It's, no. it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful series. It's about board gaming and board gamers and this group of board gamers. And it's done by these professional actors who are actually board gamers themselves. There's a there's a, a a show on TV called The League, which is about you know fan. So uh, great, I love yes. that show. This is this is kind of like the board gaming equivalent of The League, and it's wonderful. Oh. It's just it's called Bored with Life. The first series was six episodes, uh, and it just got better and better. Uh, the characters are really getting well developed, and they just kickstarted a second uh, series, and so that should be coming out soon. Uh, I did the cover for their DVD for the first series, but yeah, it's like all of this stuff is out there. I mean, it's not just, you know, I mean, there's you know, 20, yeah. you know, 15, 10, 15 years ago, comics was all you could do or the occasional article, which might go viral about a gazebo or something like that. Um, <laughs> but, if only Jolly were here to talk to us about the gazebo. <laughs> um, That's such a great yeah. bit. There's, yes. well, there's, um, there's YouTube bits too. Like you can find Pat Oswalt doing the, you know, the live action role player meeting the cops. Right? Well, here's the thing. 10, uh, 15, actually, this was uh, 10 years ago. I did a series in Dork Tower 
called the League of Extraordinary General Gamers. And it was the fact that, oh, my God, Vin Diesel is a gamer. Yeah. Yes. yeah so, I oh, that. I remember that. And so, you know, it's like Will Wheaton, Vin Diesel, Kurt Schilling, and Robin Williams. These were like the only four, quote unquote, celebrities. Yeah. I mean, okay, there's, there's celebrities. But these were the ones who were out, and everybody was glomming on to this. It's like, holy shit. I could not do that strip the, anymore these days. You know, the tabletop uh, show itself. Gaming is so mainstream. It has moved so far beyond what it was 15, 17 years ago when Dork Tower started out. And because the, the base is so much wider and so much broader, and because people know the touchstones, the basic gaming touchstones, it's possible for Patton Oswalt to get out there and do an extraordinarily geeky set. And yeah. people will be doubled over and laughing. Uh, laughing. Yeah. Um, Chris Hardwick came to Madison. And he did a, a couple of sold-out shows at the Comedy Club. And everybody was totally, you know, uh, grokking on the geeky references. And it was brilliant. You know, before, gaming humor was very much an introverted kind of, hey, I get the joke. Do you get the joke? It's a really yeah. funny joke. Let's share <laughs> this and be really f- funny and cool. Now it's everywhere. You know, it's everything. It is so mainstream. It is so goddamn mainstream. But that's wonderful. It's brilliant. It's amazing. And, you know, the the humor is just pushed in all of these many different directions. I mean, the fact that, okay, you know, the Big Bang Theory is, you know, it's it's a little, you know, I mean, some some people love it. Some people essentially think it's Amos and Andy for geeks. Uh, But the Uh, fact that it even exists is... You know, saying something not, about this. not just exists. It is the top rated scripted comedy show on television yeah. right now. Yes. So, uh, that just says something about, you know, what used to be this tiny little hobby of ours. I want to just yeah. quickly point out there's a great novel I read recently called Critical Failures. Uh, it <laughs> is a little, it was a little indie novel by a, a guy called, um, named Robert Bevan. And it's great. It's actually, uh, it's, it's basically taking the premise of Joel Rosenberg's great uh, novel the sleeping dragon and taking that and, and applying it in a much more humorous and modern way so you have a bunch of gamers who are meeting a gm for the first time and the gm is of course wanting to run a very serious game and they're all you know cracking jokes and, and and you know being drunken clowns basically and he, the gm decides to teach them the lesson and with his magical dice he sends them into the game world as their characters and they get to experience what it's like to live in a world that has rules like, well, you have a six charisma. That means that nobody likes you ever. Right? <laughs> you know? it's, it's actually really funny. And uh, I, I think the second novels – I'm reading the second novel now. It's getting a lot more serious and interesting. But uh, at the same time, as far as a, humor, uh, a humorous take on gaming goes, it's a great novel. And I just wanted to point it out really quick. Well, you know, one thing. I mean Munchkin, for example, just got into Target. And I'm sorry, not Target. Munchkin got Walmart. into Walmart. I saw it at Walmart the other yes, day. Yes, Walmart. And Munchkin is essentially one giant gaming in joke. And the fact that it could go into the mass market unapologetically and people get the jokes. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely stunning. Well, it's, uh, a, it's an interesting historical bit in our, our industry as well because you have Steve Jackson Games, which was founded on role playing games. And now, Steve Jackson. Actually, well, it was kind of the micro games as well. I mean, it was well, yeah, more, absolutely, uh, absolutely. But what, know, what older are the micro, and micro games, of course, being uh, a role play, the fantasy game, trip, the fantasy trip, uh, yes. designed by Steve Jackson. So yes, yes uh, so, so it was founded on role playing games and it existed for a long time as a role playing game. You know, it's sort of its identity is uh, both the ogre guy and the car wars guy, but also the Gerps guy. 
But now the identity of C. Jackson, it has been for the last 10 years, is pretty much the munchkin guy, right? It's like it is now a company that produces a parody of role-playing games. That's what it does. <laughs> I, think, I think that's interesting from a historical standpoint. There's nothing wrong with Munchkin. Munchkin's a great game. But I think it's, it's just an interesting uh, side view if you look at like you know the, the history of our industry and look at how different companies evolve, right? Speaking of mainstream, the seventh expansion of Munchkin was a flash deal on Amazon on Black Friday. Awesome. <laughs> Good for you, John. I, you, you've got to be just on top of the world right now. It's, it's a ton of fun. I mean, uh, you know, Mun- Munchkin is, it's so fun to work in it. And it's made me a better cartoonist. I try to put my best work in on it, but it's kind of incredible. It's a really fun ride. And, you know, honestly, I'm just so amazingly, stupidly fortunate. I've been able to work on essentially two once in a lifetime games, you know, apples to apples and Munchkin. So there's not really much more I can ask for. Well, I, I bet you've got at least another one in you somewhere. <laughs> well, <laughs> keep trying. It's this is this is the fun part of the job. All right. Listen, um, we're getting close to the, uh, the the last call here at the tavern, so I'm going to ask our guests to give us their final thoughts on humor and gaming. And you guys take as much time as you want, but I, I really I'm, I'm really curious to hear you know what it, what it all boils down to for Scott Kurtz and for John Kovalik. I guess my final thoughts are the same as my first thoughts. I think it's oh, my phone is beeping up. So just cut that and just, you know, is just the take inter- that is out. Is the Enterprise calling you? Just take that out. And post. <laughs> yes, I am getting a call from the Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a necessary, I think it's a, it's woven into the fabric of gaming. I don't think you can get a group of friends together at a table without humor occurring naturally. I think it's weaved into the DNA of gaming. Oh, yeah, and I also, th- great. can I, can I quote you on that? Sure. That is badass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also think it's an important tool uh, to help bring people into gaming because I think that, especially when it comes to role-playing games, uh, a lot of newcomers, and as pop culture, be- as geek culture becomes pop culture more and more, which is happening, uh, it's all melding together, more people are going to be coming into gaming. I think humor is a is a really important tool in the DM's toolbox to help new players feel more comfortable about not making a mistake. Um, it keeps the stakes lower. It keeps the environment lighter and, uh, it keeps it, keeps things more fun. So it's a part of gaming that's, that's kind of inescapable and you, yes, it can be disruptive. (laughs) It can slow a game down, but, uh, I wouldn't want to game without it. I think we've all had those experiences and they're not great. (laughs) All right, John. Yeah, I've got to echo what Scott says. Um, I would not want to game if there was no humor. And I'm not saying the whole thing's got to be hilarious, but you know, there has to be. It's like a moment of levity, which makes a moment of horror seem more horrific when it happens in a game. But for the most part, what I remember from the great games I've played in the past, you know, with friends, uh, games, board games, card games, is the laughter that's come out of them. Um, I don't remember if I've won or lost. Um, okay, some of them I lost, and I remember those, and they hurt badly. <laughs> um, but the laughter—I would much—I mean, I would much, much, much rather play a hugely fun game that I end up losing than a real serious game that I win in the end. I mean, there's just no comparison for me. I, I game because it's fun. I game because I want friends around me. I game. Because 
it's an escape from the world and laughter and humor is a huge part of that experience for me. Awesome. That's a great one. Uh, Daryl, do you have any final thoughts on it? Uh, pretty much just restating what the other two gentlemen said. It's a game. It's supposed to be fun. What's more fun than being funny? You're sitting around a table laughing with your friends and having a good time. That's what this is all about. And I, I think it I'm going to, it's funny. It <laughs> breaks. It's not funny. I, I, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer here, but uh, I, I always like to say that there are many different types of fun and no one particular style is going to be true for every group and every table. So I do want to make a statement that I think that there are some times where a serious game, uh, you know, it's important to have that, that, that serious bits in there. And it's important to remember that that's, you know, a big part of a fun, dramatic story. It's, it's important to remember this, that being serious is, uh, at times, uh, even critical to a, an epic verisimilitude or an immersion in a particular uh, type of world or genre. But having said that, um, I echo what John and Scott said that, you know, I, li- I love having fun at the table. I love being funny at the table. I love having great stories to tell later about funny stuff that happened at the table. And I guess my only caution is, you know, just you know, realize that humor is, is great, but a little goes a long way. And too much can be just as bad as too little. <laughs> so uh, I think that's that's pretty much where I'm at. Uh, did, you, did I say anything there you guys disagree with? I'm just curious. Mm, not really. No, no, no. I mean, there's it's it's like any uh, any form of theater. You know, there's there's a point where the dramatic tension needs to increase, and a good you know games master will be able to shepherd the group towards that point. And boy, when the when the bard's head is on the cutting block, a pun is probably not the best thing to throw out at that point. <laughs> well, you know, it depends. Depends on the group. Depends on the game. But yeah, yeah I think. You, oh, let's let's be serious. This is a bard. Nobody cares. <laughs> oh. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, because you know what's going to happen. The bard's going to be the one to make the pun, and then the rest of the table is going to be, yeah, just take his head. <laughs> Please get rid of that guy. Uh, okay. So, uh, John, can you tell us what your latest thing is and where we can find out more about you and Dork Tower and Munchkin on the web? Uh, well, Dork Tower is at dorktower.com. I'm gearing up actually right now for the entire month of December, Dork Covenant, the first Dork Tower trade paperback, the entire collection is available for free. Um, and this is because we're leading up to a really big announcement that's going to come in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so free Dork Covenant. Um, huzzah! Huzzah! It must be mine. Munchkin. All the Munchkin news can be found at world at world world of Munchkin dot com. And how many W's are in that? W W W. So technically, that's six U's. Um, but the new January, which is this wonderful party game I've been working on with some friends called Double Feature, which is, I think it's just an incredible movie game. Oh, and I've been looking I'm forward to this so much. Really excited about it. It should be out really soon, and I cannot wait for this to be out. I can't wait either. It sounds pretty awesome. Uh, Scott, what's, uh, yeah. the newest thing, what's the newest thing from the Kurtz Labs, and where can we find out more about uh, your creations? Well, you can head to tabletitans.com or pvponline.com for my webcomics. Uh, PvP Online is more of a hub for everything, so 
If you're going to pick one, probably choose that. Table Titans, the f- book, will be coming out in the spring. It got Woo-hoo. pushed. Yeah, it got pushed because um, Steve Hamaker, who colored all of Jeff Smith's opus, Bone, uh, who came on as our colorist for season two, he went back and recolored all of season one for the book. Wow. Jeez. So we we decided to bump the book to spring instead of having it out for Christmas so that Steve could recolor the whole thing. He he Steve decided is, he was going to take it on and he and he pulled it off. Steve Are there so character good. sheets in it? Are there character sheets in it? Um actually the book is going to part of the Kickstarter reward of the book was that we took the first season of Table Titans and turned it into a campaign setting. Oh sweet. Uh, so the adventure the Titans go through is an adventure that comes with the book, and then there are side quests and stories and adventure hooks. Are you uh, writing this book? No, we hired – oh, man, the name is – his name is Jeff. He does a lot of stuff for, for Watsy stuff now uh, in the sense that it's uh, inspired by the first – sorry, uh, Jeffrey Ludwig is writing it. Okay. So, yeah, that was going to be a part of the book. But we decided to spin off into its own book. So that's going to be available as well. One of the Kickstarter rewards was a vinyl figure of the main character, Val. And that has been made available for pre-order to people who didn't get a chance to back at that level. Anyone who's run a Kickstarter knows at some point people start asking you for add-ons. Like, can I just buy this one thing, but I don't want to back at that level? That's so impossible to do. So we just... We just put the vinyl on pre-order for people who who wanted it and didn't get a chance to back at that level. So you could you can get that at welovefine.com now. So that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. On behalf of Daryl and myself, I want to say uh, we're very grateful for you two guys to come on the show and talk to us about a subject you were obviously so expert at. Um, <laughs> I I am just you know one of the one of the great things about being a host on this podcast is that Daryl basically lets me um, you know geek out and, and fanboy over people. I'm, I am you know, a big fan of, and I'm a huge fan of both Thor tower and PVP and uh, have been for years and years and years. I told Scott earlier, I've been reading his comics since, you know, 1997 or so. Um, and the same is true for Thor tower. I've been reading it an awful long time. Isn't that so, like a blessing and a curse at the same time, John, when people are like, Oh, I started reading your comic when I was 10. And it's, it's the worst thing. It's even worse is that when you get the kids <laughs> coming up saying, my dad used to read your comic and, Oh, wow. I've actually, so, like, I've got adults coming up saying, you spoke to my class when I was in high school. It's like, you're all grown up now. Stop. <laughs> I, I own a physical copy of uh, Dork Covenant, for example, and I have uh, a long run of PVP from the Image Comics uh, when they were oh, doing gosh. So I, John, I own- John was instrumental, and I, 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 I say this all the time. John and Aaron uh, and Liz Fulda were instrumental in my breaking into comics. PvP got its big push, um, its first big push, because uh, John got my comic into gaming shops, uh, and and it was it was no no kidding. It was a well. If it's if if it's uh, if John Kovalik says I should carry it, I'll carry it. So when you're a brand new indie comic, and you can increase the number of stores that pick up your book by almost double, because now gaming stores are willing to stock it, that's huge. I'm indebted to John for 
for forever. Uh, and Aaron and Liz too. It was just great for them to take, take me under their wing. Uh, oh, it's like, you know, if we're going to be the mutual admiration society here, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just the best. It's, you know, PVP is brilliant. It's everything you would want to be for a gaming comic. I mean, it's so well written. It's so well drawn. Scott is hilarious. It's the, <laughs> it's what, it's what everybody else should be aspiring to. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, you know, Dorkstorm Press, regardless, it's like this it would have been huge one way or the other. It's just, yeah, well, that's one kind of, of the say. greatest I, comics out there. And I sincerely believe Scott is the finest cartoonist of his generation. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're to hear first, John. folks. <laughs> well, since John said this, that, oh, yeah. <laughs> the gauntlet's been time. Thrown. Yeah. One time uh, I had cancer and John gave me urine and his urine cured my cancer. I just wow. had to be said, John's urine will cure cancer. Okay, that no, is the title of this episode. Can I, can I use that as a pull quote on the new trade? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, every time you say your daughter, anytime you just mention your daughter, you have something to do, I just, I can't stop smiling, man. I'm still oh. so happy for you. You know, my brother finally uh, adopted, so I've got oh, uh, I've wonderful. got a two year old niece showing up for for Christmas this year. Oh my god, and, that's uh, so great! Oh man, <laughs> little girls, man, they just start yeah. breaking your heart immediately. I know. I I'm not know. even her daddy, and she's breaking my heart. <laughs> Man. Louisa came in and like told me she had a crush on a boy in her school, and I'm like, no, not until you're 12. Stop this. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's the All best. Right. I mean, it really is the best. Unfortunately, the uh, the Imperial Guard is about to shut us down for the night, right. so oh, okay. we're gonna have to we're gonna have to close the doors of the tavern. But again, uh, Daphne Daryl, myself, thank you guys so much, and for all the listeners. Until next time, may all your hits be crits. Finding the correct contact lenses and the perfect frames for the fashionably nerdtastic can be a hassle in the big box stores. So that's why I use AC Lens. From the most fashionable frames and hard-to-find prescription contact lenses to the perfect contacts for your next cosplay, AC Lens has all the bases covered at your fingertips without the hassle of leaving the game table. Just go to gamerstavern.org slash AC Lens, L-E-N-S. They have amazing offers, including up to $300 in savings for a year's supply of contact lenses and with a 100% satisfaction guarantee, what's not to like? There's even a special deal for Gamers Tavern listeners, $5 off any contact lens order of $50 or more. They have everything you need to keep your eyes healthy and happy. So check out GamersTavern.org slash ACLens today for all your eye care needs.